Hey, welcome to Guerrilla Discipleship. I'm uh, your host, Kevin Baker. Great to be with you. I am uh, finishing our conversation that we've been having for the last few weeks with Josh Plant. He's the senior pastor of Church in the Drive uh, in uh, Orlando, Florida, and we've been having a great conversation. If you've been a part of this, you know how wonderful it's been. You are in for a treat as we finish up today. I just so appreciate Josh. Uh, what a gifted young man he is, and what an opportunity for us to see what God is doing and to hear that together. So thanks for joining us. Uh, let's get right back into our time with Josh. Yeah, I, I think this, again, goes back to vulnerability uh, and, and relationships, right? So saying, as a pastor, like, I'm going to get up, and, I, and I'm going to confess to you my flaws sometimes. Not all of them, right? Because there's a bunch. But I'm going to confess to you my flaws from the pulpit. I'm going to tell you, like, listen, and as I, as I try to drive home a point, I'm going to give you an example of a time that I didn't do something right with my kids. Yeah. Like I, I, the other day I raised my, I, I told this story, um, I think last week in, in service, I said, you know, one of the, the difficult things is I, I raised my voice at my daughter because uh, I, was, I was tired, I was frustrated, she was taking too long to do something. But as part of her discipleship and trying to salvage the situation, I felt the Lord say to me, you need to apologize and ask for her forgiveness. And I did, right? And and she said, it's okay, daddy, I love you, you know, and- You're gonna make me cry now. I mean, it, it just, it hit me, right? So all that to say, like, being open enough to tell your people, like, that's what's going on with you. Cause then they, they feel like they've got a relationship with you a little bit, they know something about you. Yeah. Well, how do I have that same relationship, you know, with, with my friends? and uh with, with people in my small group how do how do i do that right so i think i think it starts with us being vulnerable from the, from the stage like setting the, the tone and i think that that works itself out into our community groups eventually because people will take on the behaviors they see modeled so so uh josh the couple weeks ago i did an interview uh and well you just talked with my best friend he's uh, been a, a good friend for over 35 years and uh He's my accountability partner. He's another pastor. He's down in Florida. He's in Fort Myers. Uh, all the good pastors in Florida. That's just the way. It but, uh, and we talked about how uh, God had worked in our lives. And um, so there's nothing in my life. I just want you to know this about. There's not one thing in my life that he doesn't know about. Not one sin, not one struggle. He's my 2 a.m. friend. So, um, I don't know how much you know about the Wesleyan background and John and, and Charles Wesley, but one of the things that happened in that Wesleyan movement was they created, part of what he did was he created these, these uh, groups. He called them, band, John Wesley called them band meetings. Uh, do you know much about that? I, I, it's not important, but um, so, so anyway, so um, my friend two weeks ago, three weeks ago, started talking to me about he wanted to start a band meeting. And band meetings are four people, three to four people, so it's not a big group, three to four people uh, who are uh, of the same gender. You wouldn't want to do this with the opposite gender folks in the same room. And they, they uh, meet every week and they ask five questions. Uh, they, they just answer five questions with each other. I'm going to tell you the five questions uh, for band meetings. Um, one is, what known sins have you committed since our last meeting? Question number two, what temptations have you met with? Number three, how were you delivered? 
Number four, what have you thought, said, or done about which you're not sure if it was sin or not? Question number five, is there anything that you right now are keeping secret? So he said, hey, uh, would you join this meeting? You know, would you do this with me? Now, there's not a thing in my life I haven't confessed to him or talked to him about. But I want you to know, as soon as he asked me, I was like, oh, heck no. <laughs> and and, um, and the, there was something in me that said, I, I fear being that exposed. But the power, according to the Wesleyan movement, the power was sitting in a gracious, grace-filled environment, Christ-centered environment, and every week confessing our sins to one another in that way actually healed people. And they grew in grace just by being in that environment. So I, my first reaction was, well, the first thought was, oh man, do I have time for another meeting? The second thing was, I don't want to be that exposed. And the, the fact that I didn't want to be that exposed with somebody who I'm already that exposed to made me sense, it, it, it was almost like the spirit of God said, there's more here for you. And so I said, yes, we just had our first meeting. In fact, before the first meeting, he said, is there somebody else that you want to invite to the meeting? And I was like, uh, so I, I have another friend who's a pastor here and uh, he and I and our wives were out for dinner and I just mentioned it to him thinking he was gonna go, are you crazy? I could barely get the words out of my mouth now, he trusts me. I've had a relationship with him for a long time, but I, I told him what the meeting was going to be, and he said, I'm in. Wow. And so we met, we met, and we spent 45 minutes. It was three of us, um, and each one of us went around, and we answered each one of those questions. And at the end of the time, all we did was speak words of blessing over each other. You in, Josh? You want to you join us on Thursday mornings? I'm okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> My point is to say that is the kind of discipleship where I'm just living in that kind of openness with, with other people. This happens to be two other pastors. Um, but, but you know, as well as I do, and I, and I agree with you being vulnerable from the pulpit is a, it, it, appropriately vulnerable from the pulpit is a good trait to model what it looks like for the church. But Discipleship does take vulnerability. Jesus walked with those 12 disciples. He knew their petty arguments. He knew all of the frustrations and the ways that they were getting it wrong, and he could speak into it, but we're not known by many people. And as a pastor, it's really hard sometimes to be, to be that honest with other people because, you know, I mean, whether we want to admit this or not, churches expect pastors to be nearly perfect. And they don't want to admit that their pastors struggle with sin as much as they do. Now, hopefully we're having a lot of victory as well. But the reality is, you know, no temptation has seized us except that which is common to every person, pastors included. And so, uh, you know, I'm going to spend a year confessing every week, every temptation, every sin, every thought. And I am going to live in this grace-based, vulnerable environment and let God do with me what he wants. And see, I'm hoping a year from now, you and I can talk and I'll tell you, here's how it's changed my life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder how much of that is because of our, our focus on the disciples in Jesus, right? And we say we need to emulate that. I wonder how much of this approach to pastoral 
uh, perfection, if you will, is is as a result of we're saying, well, you know, and here it's it, it's analogous, right? It's like Jesus and the disciples, pastor and everybody in the congregation. Right. When that's not really how it should be necessarily. No. I wonder if that's where that comes from, uh, because I, I think you're right. I, I heard somebody say one time, every human being on earth wants two things. They want to be needed and they want to be known. And if we can get them serving and, and in community groups, we can help them with that. But oftentimes, we, you're, you're so right. It's so hard to be known by other people, especially when they expect you to be perfect. And I think that that extends out to our congregation. Like, people- Oh, it does. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I would say those two things differently. I would say that every one of us wants to be fully known and we want to be fully loved. Mm-hmm. And we don't get fully known because we're afraid we won't be fully loved. And yet that's yeah. the beauty of the gospel is that God does fully know us. There's not one secret about our lives. And he says, and I fully loved you. And I've demonstrated my love for you that I sent my son to die for you so that we could have fellowship and so that we could have a relationship. And so, but man, even in the church, we struggle with that, right? I mean, we, this, this idea of living, but I think the world would love to look out on a church and go, man, have you seen how those people love each other? They confess sins to one another. They right wrongs with each other. They, they take care of relationship pieces with each other. And, and they, they, they spur one another on to love and good deeds. And they, they're kind to people who are strangers. I got to be, I got to figure out that community. And yet that's not the way the world sees us. And I think we have to own that um, while we would like to say, oh, they just see us through skewed lenses. The truth is there's a lot of, of what they see that we need to change, that we got to figure out what to do with. And, and it is going to start with us. And, uh, and it's going to be hard. Because as you push into your church to live in a disciple mode, a disciple making mode, and I want to go back to what you said about the pastor and the people, because, you know, in in Matthew 28, when Jesus said, uh, you know, basically go into all the world, make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've uh, uh, commanded you, and lo, I'll be with you throughout the end of the age or to the end of the age that was given to the 11 apostles maybe some others there but he was but it's also a command for every church member it's not a command for pastors because it's every disciple you make has to go now and do everything so disciples make disciples it's not that pastors or churches make disciples a church can't i mean we've even even our language about church is wrong right because we keep talking about the church as if it's an institution but the church is the gathering of followers of Jesus. It's the community of people. And so the church makes disciples as disciples make disciples. Right. And, and I don't know about you, but we're pushing hard. Uh, in fact, here's what just happened to us. It, it hasn't fulfilled it, but I've got three guys, young guys that I meet with on Saturday mornings. And, uh, and we're just discovering what God's word has to say. We're trying to live openly in front of one another uh, they're all young guys, uh, and one of them has started a, 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 some discovery group Bible studies with some guys that work for him. They're all high school, college guys, and uh, he texted me. They meet on Monday nights. I don't know exactly how many guys are there right now, but uh, he texted me last, uh, I think it was last Monday night after the meeting, 1030, something like that, and he said, Kevin, you're not going to believe this. Six of them want to be baptized. 
Now, here's the thing. He said, I hope you'll come. He wasn't asking me to do the baptism. He was saying, because where they meet, there's a pond right there. He's going to baptize them. That's great. Isn't yeah. that amazing? That's to me, that's Matthew 28. Now, for many of our church people, they would say, wait a minute, wait a minute. The pastor's got to do the baptism and it needs to be done in the church or, you know, it needs to be. But the reality is we're living in community. I, I live in community with him. He's a follower of Jesus. He's making disciples of these young guys and they're asking to be baptized. What a, what a perfect picture for him to do the baptism. He's the one that's helping them to come to know Jesus. He's the one that should be actually celebrating their baptism. And I'll be right there cheering the whole thing on. And imagine if we could get, imagine if I, I don't, let's just say there are 500 people in your church. Let's say that 500 people in your church there on the church on the drive, were all baptizing six people every year. I mean, I'm in, right? Isn't that, isn't that what every pastor dreams about? That, that instead of it being pushed on us and, and expected that we're supposed to do all that, that we're training believers who are doing the ministry. And, and this is a move, as, as you know, within a church life anyways, uh, even outside of the, the spiritual realm, we're saying, no, if we want to get people plugged in, if we want people to stick around, we have to give them something significant to do. Yeah, exactly. Do the significant ministry. Also, that that seems to be if you read like books about church growth, um, you know that seems to be the barrier to breaking two hundred. Right around there is you have to begin releasing things out yeah. to, to the uh, laity and letting them run with it, and you get out of the way as the ministerial staff a lot of times. Um, and so I, it makes sense that that same principle would apply in more spiritual stuff, where we say, no, you got take this and do it. Exactly. Exactly. You're, you're, you're as empowered as I am. Uh, there are pastors and teachers and, and people that have been called and anointed for that, but it's to raise up the, the people to do the work of ministry. All right. So I'm going to ask you, we'll, we'll kind of close this down. I've kept you for a long time, but Josh, what a joy it's been to kind of talk through these things with you. Josh, what's the best thing about being a, a, a disciple of Jesus in your life? Oh, man. For me, it, it's grace. It, for me, it's grace that, that goes to hope because um, I am keenly aware because, because just because of my personality, I'm keenly aware of all of my shortcomings and all of my faults and all of my everything, you know. I, yeah. But at the end of the day, when I lay down my head on my pillow, I have a routine and I, I just go, there's nothing I've done today that made God love me any more or any less. Yeah, that's so good. And I, man, I just, that, it took me a long time to get there. I grew up with a, with a little bit more of a guilt-based theology. Yeah. Uh, and when I finally got to that point, going through uh, college and then in the seminary and, and hearing that and having uh, men and women of, of wisdom speak into my life, go, wait, that's kind of weird. You know, <laughs> uh, don't, you don't need to think about it like that. Um, think about it in terms of grace that changed everything for me. So, so for me, like, I don't, I don't have a burden anymore. Yeah. That's the greatest thing for me. Like I look at the end of the day and I go at the end of the day, God's going to take care of me. God loves me. God wants good things for me. And as a result, I can bless our world better. That's so good. I don't know if I'm seeing it right, Josh, you almost, almost felt like you got emotional talking about that. I did. I did because, because for me, it, um, it was, 
we, we haven't talked about this, but I, I grew up in, in the Pentecostal church. And so, oh, wow. lot, and within my brand of it, I guess it was a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, if you had any sin in your life at all, uh, and Jesus came back at that moment, right. You weren't going wow. right. And, uh, so th- you always had to be hundred percent perfect and you weren't hundred percent perfect unless you had just asked for forgiveness for whatever it was you'd done wrong. Yeah. Now you can imagine being a 15 year old guy. That's really difficult. Hey, I'm a six year old guy and I don't meet that standard. <laughs> I can assure you of that. Yeah. So going through uh, college and in, and in the seminary and learning that I, I remember when I got ordained uh, in Memphis, I'm, you know, at this point I, I've graduated from seminary. I've done all the theological classes. I've thought through this stuff. I've written papers about yeah. like my testimony and my journey and, I'm standing in front of them. I, I think I'm 28 years old or something like that. Um, and I'm sharing this story. And for the first time, I'm sharing about how this concept of grace and how I don't have to earn God's forgiveness every second of every day anymore. And like, God just loves me. You know, I'm sharing about that for, oh, like in front of people, uh, uh, like 30 people at this point. And I, I, I couldn't stop. I, I started crying. I couldn't, I couldn't yeah. keep them crying because it, it moves me so deep to, to think yeah. about how, how different life is when yeah. you can say, God cares immensely about little old me yeah. in spite of all of my stuff. Yeah. And we got stuff. Yeah. All of us have stuff. That's why we need a savior. Man, that just blesses me. And I, you know, I grew up with a, a, a lot of shame and, um, and pain myself, Josh, and, and uh, man, judgment and condemnation, because I grew up in the church as well. Judgment and condemnation swore, just, it was hard for me to believe that God could love me. I used to think, believe it or not, I used to think that, that, that God had created this amnesty program through Jesus and that, yeah, I might get into heaven, but God would be looking. This is literally how I felt. God would look over and go, oh, Kevin's here. <laughs> oh, man. And, and uh, so the idea that I could be God's beloved son was a hard concept that he actually, and I remember as I thought about that whole idea of not having the assurance of our salvation, not just, not, you know, always questioning, well, have I sinned too much or whatever? And I thought how horrible it would be if I have five kids, if any of my kids like every day were like, I don't know, does dad still love me? That if that's the way they lived and how could, if I, as a, as a fallen sinful dad on earth, don't want my kids questioning whether they're loved by me, why would the God of the universe who is love want me to question his love for me? Because I just keep getting it wrong or I just am not perfect and I never will be. And uh, man, that message of grace and that sense that we are truly and completely loved, even though we are not, we're not perfect, is a power release. I, I, man, I thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being that open. I, I have just so enjoyed, I have hope for all the great things that God's got for the country, because I've talked to young pastors like you. Uh, some of us old, as you said, the, the baby boomers, as we kind of close out, maybe you guys uh, can take over and do some great things. And I can tell you this, Church on the Drive has a great pastor. And uh, what a blessing it is to talk with you. 
Well, it was a lot of fun for me too. I like to just sit and talk about all this stuff all day. Can I, can I invite you back another time? Anytime. All Anytime. right. You're, this won't be the last time you uh, are, you guys will hear from, from, uh, from Josh and I appreciate that time. So Josh, thanks so much for being a part of Gorilla Discipleship and we'll see you guys next week. Mm -hmm.